Hey everybody, Donnie Bovine here. Thanks so much for listening to these episodes. Do me a favor, if you get any value out of these, would you leave me a review? It would mean the absolute world to me. Our brain does not want us to stay in the present moment. Why that is, is because that is the only moment our brain cannot control what you are actually mm. creating in your mind. Let me explain. If you think about the past, even though the past has happened, it's actually tangibly something that has happened, you could tweak the past. You could believe certain things. You could add within that past in itself. So your brain has an active role within it. In the future, your brain controls 100% of the future of the, you're thinking about. And that's where it adds the fear. That's where it adds X, Y, and Z, whatever the case is. Now, both of those points are massively important. You have to look at the past to learn from your mistake, to learn about certain situations. You have to look in the future to create the reality that you want manifested and beyond. But those are in percentages the least amount of time that you have to be in. So once again, if we say 5% of the time is where you should spend in the past to learn from your mistakes, I would say 15 to 20% of the time you have to be uh, in, the, in the future. And then the rest of the time, 75 to 80% of the time, you have to be in the present moment. Now, why, once again, is your brain doesn't want you to be in the present moment? Because the present moment, he's not controlling it. You are living. So if you're able to go into that present moment and not think about the past or not go into the future, there is lack of fear. You are just being. Now, how do we go about this? How do we restructure our mind to really associate this? You've got to get around people that are doing the shit you want to be doing on the level and volume of what you want to be doing. Go in and be the damn student. I could learn from every person in this room. Think about how you talk about your business. Yes, passion sells. But you can't carry on a real conversation outside the passion. You're going to lose. So the whole point of all of this is one, show up as you, fucking loud. Two, get yourself in freaking rooms that scare the shit out of you. It's really about looking at those things that you know will move the business forward and doing them anyways. Thank you for allowing me to always show up as me and thank you for showing up as you. Chris, you say creativity comes out of crisis. Tell me more. Oh, I love that. You didn't pull that out of, uh, out of thin air and that, and that reality. Creativity does come out of crisis. It's, it's just inevitable. If you look at anything in our society and if you studied history, the most chaotic vibration times in society has come up with the greatest businesses, the greatest opportunities and beyond. So if you are going through that, chaotic vibration in your business, in your personal life, it pushes you to be creative and innovative. If we just look at the last one that has happened to us that everybody knows of, of the pandemic, it has pushed so many businesses to evolve. It has pushed so many businesses to die that just really were kind of riding the wave of the last almost a decade and a half of just positivity in regards to sales and just the whole marketplace in general. So it's making it that you have to be more creative. How do you give a better service? How do you come up with a new ideology? How do you position yourself different? So 100%, if you look at anything in history, creativity comes on massive drones when it is right after or during a massive chaotic vibration. And if you look at, once again, greatest leaders that we follow from Winston Churchill, uh, Malcolm X, uh, J.F. Kennedy have come after difficult moments in societies and has presented themselves as a leader for people that are needing leadership. 
So that's what I mean by that comment when I say that. Dude, I, I can tell you for me, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. I also know the difficulty I've had mentally during those damn times. Like when you, it's always, you can look back on it and go, ooh, this is what I learned from that moment. Yeah. It's when you're in it, you know, because we can talk about COVID even, you know, we made a massive pivot in the company and thank God we did, it worked. You know, but I, I can tell you other moments of time, you know, like the day I had to look at my wife and say, you know, we're about to lose everything. You know, uh, those moments, it's really hard to look up and go, there, this is just a, a moment to learn something. This is a moment something great's going to come out of this because you're smack in the middle of it. And I know I struggle with it tremendously. Right. So, I love that you're, you're bringing that Donnie in the forefront because that's the reality of everybody struggles with when it happened, as do I. And the reason why is because through the evolutionary structure of our brain, our brain has one job, to keep us alive. So when these chaotic vibrations happen, when this fear aspect happens, your brain goes into the research of, am I going to die? Am I going to lose everything and beyond and makes things bigger than what it is. So when you're sitting down in front of your wife, Donnie, and you're like, hey, we might lose everything. Your brain is, is instantly associating with you almost dying, but it's not real. What's going to happen? The worst comes to worst. You lose your house. You lose this. You lose that. I'm sure you guys have enough loved ones around you that you could go live on their couch. Granted, it's not going to be comfortable. Granted, it's not going to be the best, but it's not the end all be all. So first and foremost, by just noticing that, it diminishes the cognitive pressure on you of like, this is not the end game, one. Second of all, as you're going through that moment of that chaotic vibration and noticing, oh my God, this is really difficult. What I do is I look at things in the past that I have felt that exact same thing and then look at where I'm at right now. So let's see, in the beginning of my speaking career, as I'm a professional speaker, when I used to go on stage, I wasn't as eloquent. I was maybe a bit fearful and beyond. Now I look at where I'm at and I go on stage and I have this massive control of the audience. I'm able to teach them, educate them. And what I call edutainment, which is entertain and educate at the same time. I'm like, this is beautiful. But then I realized that took me years and years and years to get to this point. So whatever I'm doing right now that I might be insecure about or fearful about, all I have to do is put in the time to get to that point. And I could name so many other things. You could name sports. You could name uh, starting a book if you've never started a book. Anything takes that process. So if you do those two things and diminishes the cognitive pressure, and then you're able to look at the thing more in a tangible way that's logical instead of fear-based thing. Last thing I'm going to say about this. When it comes to this ideology of going to that chaotic vibration, when fear is high, logic is low. And when logic is high, fear is low, which is not good either. What we want to do is create an equilibrium. Once again, let me use the analogy of uh, the pandemic. In the beginning of the pandemic, there was massive fear because we had no idea what was going to happen in our reality, in our life. What happened? Everybody was like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. We're buying toilet paper like it's the end of the world. There is a massive level of fear. No logic. We didn't need to buy that much toilet paper. We need to stock up. There was no logic. So once we go to that equilibrium aspect of controlling our emotional state, then we can look at things more in a tangible way of how to approach it. So once you create that equilibrium in your emotions, then you're able to sit down in front of your wife, be like, okay, we're going through a difficult time, but here are the strategies to go about it. Still keeping empathy, still not being robotic and just looking at it logically, having that emotion involved as well. Do you think trying to stay present in the moment helps you? Because having ADHD, I know you got dyslexia, so we both play in this kind of same play playground, different areas, but you know, 
the idea of saying president in the moment kicks my ass more than anything else, yes. right? Because it's so hard to, especially when you're in a moment of crisis, right? That for me, I'm in it and I'm like, dude, control what you can control right now, right? It's all, all you can do, which I know is one of your big quotes, right? And, um, but the mental ability to bring yourself back, is that something you learn over time through repetition or, or is, is this something I should know already? Okay. Great question. So first of all, I have ADHD as well. Uh, learning disability usually comes in a, in, in a trope. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I have dyslexia, ADHD, uh, dysgraphia and hyperactivity. Now, when it comes to being in that present moment, it is the exact answer to go through any solution like you just mentioned. Now, here's the thing. Once again, I love brain science. I'm a geek about this. As you know, Donnie, uh, yeah. as you've seen me speak on stage, our brain does not want us to be in the present moment because that's the only moment he doesn't control. Wants us to look at the past because even though it's in the past and it's happening. Wait, say it, that again. Say that again. I had not heard anybody say that. Say that one more time. Yes. The brain doesn't brain, want us to stay present. Yeah. Exactly. Our brain does not want us to stay in the present moment. Why that is, is because that is the only moment our brain cannot control what you are actually mm creating in your mind. Let me explain. If you think about the past, even though the past has happened, it's actually tangibly something that has happened. You could tweak the past. You could believe certain things. You could add within that past in itself. So your brain has an active role within. In the future, your brain controls 100% of the future of the, you're thinking about. And that's where it adds the fear. That's where it adds X, Y, and Z, whatever the case is. Now, both of those points are massively important. You have to look at the past to learn from your mistakes, to learn about certain situations. You have to look in the future to create the reality that you want manifested and beyond. But those are in percentages, the least amount of time that you have to be in. So once again, if we say 5% of the time is where you should spend in the past to learn from your mistakes, I would say 15 to 20% of the time you have to be uh, in, the, in the future. And then the rest of the time, 75 to 80% of the time, you have to be in the present moment. Now, why, once again, is your brain doesn't want you to be in the present moment? Because the present moment, he's not controlling it. You are living it. So if you're able to go into that present moment and not think about the past or not go into the future, there is lack of fear. You are just being. Now, how do we go about this? How do we restructure our mind to really associate this? The best tool that I have found is through mindfulness practices. And there's many forms of mindfulness. The one that I use is uh, the Pasana meditation. I meditate. Uh, twice per day, and I'm able to hone into that. And there's many other techniques that I utilize to control that through breathing techniques, to daily cold plunges before my workouts. I put my body in a state of panic, and then I control myself within that panic. So when it happens in my day-to-day -day life within my business, I'm able to associate myself like, hey, Chris, you're in a chaotic vibration. Let's center ourselves. And I'm in that present moment. I don't know how the hell you learned how to freaking do any sort of meditation with ADHD. Because the only way I can do it, screw cold showers, plunges, I've tried it all. The only way I can get myself into a meditative like state, and I didn't even know I was doing that until somebody who's a meditation expert told me, is to go on a walk. Okay. Okay. Just, right? So I have to be distracted to get to a state. Okay. Okay. This is so fun. I could talk to you about it until tomorrow morning. I've actually done uh, a... Uh... Um, a 10 day uh, silent meditative retreat for 10 days. I did not speak. The entire thought Lord. of that fucking just like destroys my soul, man. Okay. And on top of that, uh, uh, Donnie, you kind of know me. You know, hyper, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know how much I talk. Imagine me for 10 days not speaking a world, doing over 100 mm -hmm. hours of meditating. My what? whole body is crawling right now with that thought process. So, 100%, right? That's that. That's kind of that that reality on, on that end with uh, with that ideology. But here's the 
the way to go about it. You kind of mentioned, hey, you know, like I have a hard time meditating in regards to being uh, uh, having ADHD and beyond and how to go about it. Let me unpack both of them. Having, first of all, ADHD. ADHD is a form of learning disability that has to do with uh, having hyperactivity, having uh, uh, and the, uh, like having hard time concentrating either visually, auditory, or kinesthetically, right? Now, the best way I could explain what ADHD is, is essentially, Donnie, you have a car, a Honda Civic, the chassis of a Honda Civic. You have the tires, the rim, the brakes of a Honda Civic, but you have a Ferrari motor in that Honda Civic, which is your ADHD and your hyperactivity. If you do not learn how to control it, your car's not going to drive properly. You have this super powerful engine, but you don't have the proper tires, you don't have the proper brakes, and it's all over the place. What we need to teach you is how to control your ADHD, put the proper rims, put the proper brakes, so then you utilize your ADHD for your advantage. The reason why I'm able to do so much is because I have high levels of hyperactivity and ADHD, but I put frameworks in my life to be able to control that so I could channel it in the best way possible. So to say that it's impossible to do it, that is actually false. It is very possible. And once you unlock that, brother, it's a game changer. It's kind of like uh, Bradley Cooper in uh, Limitless when he takes that pill. I'm telling you, massive advantage. It's, but it, it sounds and feels exhausting thinking about trying to, what I hear you say is probably not what you're trying to say. It almost sounds like you're trying to cage it up, right? I've spent my entire lifetime coping. So let's be wrong. I didn't know I was ADHD until last year, right? I got diagnosed at the age of 45. So I didn't grow up as a kid knowing this or anything like that. So it's all been a learning for me. And I tell everybody, it's been not an excuse for how I showed up as a kid, but it's a hell of an explanation, right? Yes. And, and so my entire life was unintentional coping. Yes. I, I didn't know I was coping, if you will. So, so now I embrace it. Um, but I'm also in glad that I take medication for it. Hey, Donnie Bobin here, CEO of Success Champions Networking. And I just want to jump in really quick and tell you about the network. Success Champion Networking isn't for the beginning networker. It's for the business people that understand that building a successful relationships is a two-way street requiring commitment from both parties involved. Stop wasting time networking with people that don't understand how to leverage their network to generate quality referrals for you. If you're ready to network with business people that are tired of doing all the heavy lifting and want to build real partnerships that generate high revenue referrals, visit one of our chapters today at successchampionnetworking.com and I look forward to seeing you there. Okay. So 100%. First and foremost, you have to know what you have to work for. Like I say, I'll right. say you want to utilize the brain chemistry of your body for your advantage because if you don't know what's happening, your brain is developed over time and it has one job and it's doing one thing. But if you don't know that, it's counteracting. Your aspect of being ADHD, if you don't know how it works, it's counteracting. We're not caging it, we're supporting it. So for me, one way to go about this, because I have high levels of, uh, like I said, of hyperactivity and ADHD, I have to work out once per day minimum and go intense at it. That diminishes the energy level. So then I could go and sit down and do my coachings, my academies, my speeches, my meetings, my podcasts in a more relaxed setting. One. Second of all, I put daily walking meditations or walking meetings. You mentioned that, hey, when I walk, I am in an active state of meditation. Yes, what's happening is because you're doing something cognitively that doesn't demand a big amount of pressure. You've been walking potentially your whole life after a certain uh, point of time, 
and it's a forward motion that you don't need to think much. So what happens when the conscious mind is taking a step back, the subconscious mind takes forward. Let me repeat that, okay? When you have a specific problem, okay, Donnie, I know that you're working on an event that's coming up in the next few days here. You have a lot of things that are coming up and you're trying to find solutions to these problems. The best way to go about it, sometimes take a step back and allow your conscious mind to take a break so your subconscious mind could go on the forefront and solve the solutions that you're working on. Such as when you're walking, you're just embracing it. When you're in farm, you're embracing it and then solutions come up. One person that knew this and utilized it at a very high level, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, a lot of people do not know, was a phenomenal violinist. And when he was with his colleagues and looking at these mathematical problems and he was having a hard time figuring them out, at a certain point, he used to just get up and leave. And the other mathematicians were like, yo, what are you doing? We're finding this solution. There's a deadline, all, all that. He's like, no, I'm going to go play violin. And he used to just go play violin. And as he's playing violin, he finds the solutions to the problems. It's because he's allowing his conscious mind to take a break so a subconscious mind could find the solution because it's actually the bigger part of your brain. So that's kind of the way to go about it. And that's what you're experiencing as well when you walk in regards to a mindfulness practice and as well as an appeasing moment for your hyperactivity, ADHD, and beyond. So for, and, and I did not know that about Einstein first. Um, that, that makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't have a hyperactivity. Mm -hmm. I have focus, right? That, mm -hmm. that's, that's the best thing. So, so since I'm a kid, like if I showed you my desktop right now, it's a piece of plywood that I doodle on. Like the, most of the desktop is covered in, in ink drawings because I've always had to be distracted to learn. That's just how I'm wired. I, I've always understood that, which always is a problem with teachers growing up because they'd always tell me to pay attention. I couldn't explain to them that this was allowing me to pay attention. Um, this is why I did so bad in school. Um, so for me, two things happen. One, I've got to be distracted to learn. Two, uh, I get overwhelmed with information too fast, right? Because there's just too much input coming in, which just scrambles the hell out of my brain. And so I, I, there's times I even tell the team, I'm like, guys, too much input. Let's slow it down a second. So, so what do I, how do I unpack that? Okay. Great question. So here's the thing. When it comes to any type of learning disability, it's really nothing more than a different type of learning. So the education system that you were given, Donnie, that I was given was not tailored for our type of learning. It's just as simple as that. It was tailored for a specific type of learning, for a specific type of individual, which was the, the average population. So first and foremost, you have to figure out what is the best way for you to learn? Are you more an auditory learner? Are you more a visual learner? Are you more a kinesthetic learner? With the bit that I know about you, Donnie, I believe that you're more a kinesthetic learner. That means that you learn by doing, not by getting told, not by necessarily consuming information in a visual or reading format. You pick up things by actively doing it. Now, once it's twofold, so it's visual and kinesthetic. So I, so auditory kind of, but mainly visual and kinesthetic. Which ones? Which one do you think would be first? Uh, so I've always thought it was visual, but I can't ever learn anything until I do it. That's it. So this is exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. So obviously yeah. it's in percentages. It's not one cut For thing, sure. but the way that you're talking about it, the way that, like I said, I, you're kind of explaining it hundred percent. That's what it is. So when you're sitting down in a meeting and you're getting a sensory overload of information that becomes too much. And then your brain just blocks out and you're like, Hey, let's take a break. Now, once you understand this framework, you have to figure out what is the best time for you to learn? When is your peak? biological time best at for me it's oh, more same same always so those meetings that are the most uh cerebral let's call it it has to be in the morning 
And then you have to figure out what is the time frame that I could be concentrated for? Is it 40 minutes? Uh, is it 30 minutes? Is it 20 minutes sprints? Is it an hour? That's how you structure a meeting. And then once you get to that point and you realize that, hey, we did what we needed to do, but I cannot anymore within the meeting, you stop the meeting. Jeff Bezos does this the best. When he goes in the afternoons and he has meetings and it's too difficult, he's like, this is not a, uh, a problem that we're going to solve in the afternoon. This is a morning problem. That's what he mentions. Now, the reason why that is, is because we have so much decision factors or quantity of decision we could take within a day. And the more you go within along the day, your decision uh, nuances diminish and your decision fatigue comes into play. So what I do, all the things that are demanding high levels of creativity, high levels of cognitive pressure in the morning, in the afternoon, are least amount of cognitive pressures, things that are more like I'm used to doing. And if I realize that it's an evening thing that's happening that should be in the morning, I just reschedule in the morning. So just by understanding so, how you learn, you could definitely uh, go around that and be more uh, efficient. hundred uh, percent. So, so I've known that for the longest time, always been a morning guy. I try to put pack everything in the morning. Where I get into trouble is running a company on top of all this. So, so there's just things that have to get done, right? They're, they're, no matter what, right? They, they've got to get done. So this is where mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer, do the work until the work done, you know, but I also know that uh, later it gets in the day, the more mentally fatigued that I am than anything else, right? That's what kicks my ass more often than not. Okay. Uh, so, go ahead. What I'm hearing, Donnie, I'm just going to jump in. You're aware of that the morning you're, you're the best at and you have that ideology, get the work done until the work is done. I believe in that in a certain, certain extent, but there's certain points I don't believe in that. If you have to finish something and it's at late in the day and then you're like, you know what? I still need to do this. So let me muscle through it, muscle through it, muscle through it. And maybe it takes you an hour to two hours to muscle through it because you have that uh, fatigue. But if you would have done it in the morning, maybe it would have took you 30 minutes. That hour to two hours that you did to do the work, you're going to have a less creative, less efficient and less high quality work. It just is what it is. So for me in that I moment, agree with that. But it still has I, to be done. It has to be done. But what I hear in here, it's not a question of it has to be done or X, Y, and Z. I hear that the planning and the scheduling of the task load and delegation aspect is probably where we have to look at. So if you look at your whole structure of what you need to do, classify it in the proper organizational point of like, hey, this is uh, important, urgent. This is important, non-urgent. This is something I could delegate, whatever the case is, then you could put it in the proper quadrant. Then you won't fall in that trap of like, oh my God, I need to do this because I need it for tomorrow, but it's something that I should have done in the morning, but I'm doing it in the evening. It's really what it comes down to your scheduling. Yeah, I, I agree. There is, in addition to that, things that pop up that are out of your control. Yes. Right. There's sometimes fires that you just got to put out. Yes. And, you know, you learn to muscle through when you muscle through. Yes. But trust me, if I can move that thing to the morning, You're I will late. do that every time. You know, I get up at 3.50 every morning because it's the only way I can fit everything in that I need to get done. I got to go do my walk, take care of the farm, get my social media stuff out because I love doing it. You know, um, that kind of stuff, putting out content. So I've got to be ready to rock and roll by 8 o'clock so I can start meeting with clients, you know, staff. Um, and the like. So it's a very, very regimented routine. And if that routine gets thrown off, man, my whole day gets out of whack, right? I agree. Yeah, I agree. So, so I often will find something pop up, not often, but enough times find something that pops up. I'm like, dude, muscle through it tonight because you are not going to be able to fit this in tomorrow morning. You know, um, so sometimes it's a priority then 
you know, then, then, then go. But, but you, that's part of it. I too. think all my, say it again. See, that's a part of it too, though. As an entrepreneur, there's a lot of times in parentheses, you're kind of like a fireman. All you're doing is putting out fires. So what you could do is calculate it within your, your schedule. I always have about, no, no joke, 30 to 30 minutes to 40 minutes of empty time within my schedule because I know that shit's going to pop up. And when it comes up, I schedule it there. And it does happen pending what it is. So now you're like more in a, in a sprint mode because your event's coming up. So there's more things that are going to pop up. So you have to look at it as you're running a marathon. And within that marathon, there's moments you're going to sprint and there's moments you could slow down to keep a certain pace. So if now you're in a sprint mode within that, you're going to have to muscle through it 100%. But you cannot muscle through it throughout the whole marathon. It's physically impossible. Yeah, for sure. Well, and to exactly that point, yeah, there there is a better handle I could get on how long something should actually take. I'm mm -hmm. one of my worst things in the world. Like, ah, oh, I can do this in an hour, two hours later. You know, you're still middle of the damn thing. You're like, dang it. No. So, so there's that's, nothing to be said. That's and fine. Yeah, and it's a little thing too, like Canva. I, I love Canva. I love playing in it. I love designing it and the whole nine yards. But there's a lot of things I shouldn't be fiddling. I got staff that'll do Canva. I just love doing it, right? So then, and in that situation, it's more of a, hey, just give this to them and let yeah. them do it versus, you know. Yes. Uh, uh, so. Are for, you aware of the Eisenhower metric? I'm just going to cut you off real quick. Sorry. Ooh. Are you aware of the Eisenhower metric? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, go, go look. So Eisenhower obviously was a president of the United States, as yep. you know. Uh, he came up with this uh, approach of how to classify the tasks that he has to do, right? So the first quadrant, there's four quadrants. The first quadrant is important, non-urgent. That's are the tasks that you need to do right now, okay? Then the next task is uh, uh, urgent, uh, sorry, important, non-urgent. Those are the tasks that you could schedule. So something comes in, you're like, okay, this is important for me to do, but it's not urgent. So then I could classify it of like, hey, you know what? Let me do it this day, that day, end of the week. A lot of my philanthropy stuff that comes in, uh, I plan it usually at the end of the, the week. I usually leave Fridays or Saturdays to do that because it's not important for me to do it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday when my business is like booming, right? Then you go into urgent, non-important. Those are things you should delegate. Now, what I mean by non-important, it's not important the task to get done. It's not important for you to do it. So the Canva thing, Donnie, is not important at all for you to do it. It's a waste of resources with what your skill sets are in regards to the business. So that is something you need to delegate. For me, was editing. I know how to edit my own stuff. In the beginning, I started editing, but I'm not an editor. When I got to a certain level, I'm like, man, I need to find a full-time editor. And then I went through several of them until I found Steven, which you know, and now I'm blessed that Steven follows me around the world where I give my speeches and he does all the editing and all that stuff. And not only that, what he produces editing-wise surpasses my skill set. It's not my skill set. And I'm sure there's people that are going to do a better job than Canva than you, even though you might enjoy it. So that's, that's one side. And then the fourth quadrant is non-important, non-urgent. So those are tasks that you should not be doing at all. It's a waste of time, such as scrolling on social X, Y, and Z. So as you're able to develop these aspects and really look at every single task that you do on the average within a week, you're able to cl uh, classify them and you're able to see where are the discrepancies in the tasks that you're doing that you should not be doing, the tasks that you should delegate, and see if there is possibilities to delegate, reschedule, and beyond. Yeah, um, I like that. I I didn't know it was called the Eisenhower theory. I've heard it's either that or similar like things um, with the client, with the quadrants that, and delegating out. I think what often derails me or other people is the unexpected. Yeah. You know, um, that, that's the hardest thing to, so like just before this recording, I was meeting with all the presidents of all my chapters throughout North America. 
had them on a call. And during that call, we were asking them about curriculum for next year and what things we should put in place, which opened up this whole Pandora's box of things that we need to be putting together for next year. And, you know, now in the back of my head, even as I do this interview, trying to stay present in the moment, there's a portion of me over here going, when are we going to do that? How are you going to fit that yeah. in the schedule okay. type of thing, you know? Okay. Um, and, and, and because also because of ADHD, I also know if I don't get that somewhere soon, it's gone. Right. Yeah. Um, and it'll be out of sight, out of mind. Oh, so, man. I mean, Donnie, uh, all the things you're talking about are things that I could literally help you out with in such a high level, because first of all, I've lived with that and I've, I was blessed opposite of you to get diagnosed at a very young age at eight years old, then put in a specialized school that have the teachers that are, you know, uh, the specialists to give me the tools and methodologies and tricks that I need to utilize. And I've transitioned My teachers that literally in, told me, yeah, my, my teachers literally are like, dude, we're passing you on. So we don't have any chance of getting you back next year. Yes. Right. So, That's the reality. When teachers don't know how to teach you that, which is not their fault, it's just a system how it's made, they're going to push you on, push you on, push you on. But like I said, it's just a different type of learning. And what you're explaining, there's a, such a, a way to go about it that you're not going to be able to think about or you shouldn't be thinking about what happened previously and you're in this present moment. You have to be intentional. And there's ways to break that apart. There's ways to schedule it so it doesn't conflict within your thought process. Uh, so yeah, there are ways to go about it 100%. So... Well, walk me through it. How the hell do I compartmentalize? Is that the right yeah. word? Yeah. You know, first and foremost, you have to schedule your structured agenda in regards to task orientation per day. What do I mean by that? So as you know, I'm a professional speaker. Uh, big part of my thing is I go on stage at Fortune 500 companies, travel the world, give speeches. I'm actually going in two weeks to the UK to go give a speech at the Red Bull Racing Factory uh, and beyond. Next thing I do is I do a high level executive one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, I run my academy, which is a group coaching online course. Uh, I do a lot of social media content. I create so many things. I have investments and beyond. As you know, I'm an entrepreneur, right? Run my business, steady enterprises. Now, how do I go about doing that? That's a lot of hats that I wear. So I schedule my agenda according to what I'm doing within that day being one specific thing. So for me, my coaching is on Mondays and Tuesdays. I don't have coaching clients the other times of the day, the other uh, the days of the week. So when I'm doing my Monday and Tuesday, I have my coach's hat. I'm not Chris, the CEO. I'm not Chris, the speaker. I'm not Chris, the, uh, the, the guy on social media. I am Chris, the coach. So when I'm doing that, I'm not asking my brain to switch from one thing to another because switching from one thing to another demands a lot of cognitive pressure. It demands a lot of break in between. So I have one thing in that. When my colleagues my employees want to meet with me and all that. I'm like, hey, those meetings are either Thursdays or Wednesday afternoon. I have a specific day and time. My team knows it. If I have anything else that comes into by surprise, okay, cool. I could schedule it. Fridays, I do a lot of those things. Podcast interviews, I do either Fridays or Thursdays. Wednesday mornings, I have my uh, uh, academy. And then I have my recording videos either Thursday afternoon and beyond. But as I'm scheduling like that, I'm not jumping from I have a, a coaching client. Then I have a podcast interview. Then I have to uh, prepare a speech. Then I have to uh, meet with a, a colleague and X, Y, and Z. I'm demanding too much cognitive load for my brain to switch from one thing to another. It's kind of like looking at it as a train track. I'm switching from one train track to another, another train track to another. We're looking at it as Titanic. If you're seeing the iceberg, you're already too late. The Titanic is going to hit it. You have to be able to navigate even before it comes. So once I navigate, this is what I'm doing today. And I do blocks of time within that. So this meeting that you had should have either been just that meeting and then afterwards you have time to digest and think about what it was. 
And then you have your podcast another time or you have your podcast in a time that there is no big meetings that is going to make you think of those things. Now, second part. So that's the first main part. That's the, the foundation. If you fix that foundation, you're going to be good. Mm -hmm. Second thing, if it does happen scheduling wise that you have no choice to have that meeting and then have that podcast for whatever reason, you need to leave a five to 10 minute window in between uh, both of those exercises, both of those tasks. And in between that five to 10 minutes, you have to take a moment to center yourself. So what you're doing in that centering is you're asking yourself, what is the intention for this particular task? So when you're setting your intention for the meeting is for your uh, colleagues is how can I be present with my chapter leaders in North America to help them out? How can we be more creative? So you're setting the intention even before the meeting starts. Then when you have a 15 minute break, you're like, okay, cool. How can I disassociate from that energy from being Donnie the boss to being Donnie, let me connect with individual and just a human being and just be with Chris. You're setting the intention. And I only, I do that not only in my business, but in my personal life as well. So when I'm done my work and then I'm going to go, let's say to my parents' house and my niece is there, my family's there. They don't want Christopher, the speaker, Christopher, the coach, Christopher, the CEO. They want Christopher, the son, the brother, the uncle. That's a different energy. So before going into the house, I take a five minutes in the car, take a deep breath in. And I'm like, what energy do I want to come in with? I disassociate my energies from one activity to another because everything gets interlinked and you're showing up with the wrong energy for that wrong particular task in hand. So those are the two ways that you could go about it. No, I like it. Um, the scheduling doing a lot better in that arena with the auto schedulers and the like, sometimes it gets caught in like the situation today. Um, I want to focus more on, on the centering. Um, I heard once upon a time there was a, a, it was in a sales training and the sales trainer looked at us all and he said, this is how I enter my house every day. Um, he goes, when I get off work, as I'm walking up to the door, I take off the invisible suit, mm -hmm. I hang it on the tree, and then I go in the house. I've heard that my entire life. I just heard you say it. I have never purposely practiced the art of, and I've even told people that, look, when I go around my family, I, I don't talk business, I talk wins, right? If they ask about the business, I talk wins, because that way they can celebrate with me. And I don't get advice from people who haven't been business owners. The advice comes from love. Right. And it's not ill intended. It's just not always good advice because they haven't been in my, where I'm going, you know. So, um, but I hadn't honestly thought about getting prepared for all the other places and all the other situations mm -hmm. um, and taking off. I never take off the business suit ever. Um, you know, a lot of reasons. The biggest one being I don't want to. But that's how burnout happens, Donnie. That is literally how burnout happens. And you don't even know it because that business suit, it doesn't, because there's some, listen, I would say half a decade ago, there was this ideology that was very predominant, especially in North America that was sold to us as entrepreneurs, which is the hustle culture, which is I'll sleep when I'll die. I don't need to sleep now. And it was very uh, presented as a win. Like, oh my God, I have only five hours of sleep. I'm hustling. I've been working 18 hours, 20 hours days. Bro, if you're doing that is because you don't know how the biological structure of your brain works and your body works and you're actually counterintuiting it. And I don't give an F who you are, the quality of work that you're putting in is not as good. It is what it is. Now, once you understand that, you're able to do those frameworks and you're able to shift the mindset behind it. Don, you're going to be so much more efficient in your work and in your personal life. Your and love here's life, where I'm going to push take back. take out that yeah. figurative suit. Here's where I'm going to push back. I hear you. And I'm not necessarily the hustle and grind guy. So let me put this in perspective, okay? I run a farm. On my farm, 
I have goat, chickens, ducks, geese, turkeys, and the like. Every morning, I have to go let those goats out. Mm-hmm. Every evening, I have to go put the goats up. If I don't do that, animals will die. Yeah. Because right? they can't let themselves out of the bar. So they can get heat exhaustion, all kinds of bad things can happen. If I don't put them up at night, predators can get them. Right. And then we lose expensive, you know, livestock. I don't get a choice to not let those animals out, not put those animals up. It is literally required every day. There's no days off, period. Running a business is very much the same way. There are things that must be done every day, no matter what. Let me put one caveat in this. I'm not the hustle and grind guy. I'm, yes, I'm up at the butt crack of dawn, but I'm done by five, six o'clock every afternoon, right? I'm not working till the late hours. I'm in bed by 10 o'clock. Every Thursday, I take off at noon and go spend that time with my wife. We work to farm. On most weekends, I'll work a couple hours in the morning, and then my wife and I will go do something, right? I will always be the guy that's going to get the work done until the work's done. I can't let those animals not put themselves away. So there is somewhere in between the anti-hustle and the hustle that is the perfect place. And that's where I think I live. I agree with you. And that is where you live, but you're mixing up two things. You're mixing up your farm life being your business and your business being your farm life is two different things, brother. No, but farm is still a business too. You're making money out of it, but your farm, your farm in itself is not Donnie the the coach, Donnie the speaker, Donnie the, the head of this great entrepreneurial community. That's where this the disassociation is happening. So when you're actually doing the farm life, you're actually taking a break from your business. The exact same analogy of Albert Einstein picking up his violin. When you're doing your farm life, you're picking up your violin. When you pick up your violin, it's giving a break to your cognitive uh, mind of the of the business side, and it's allowing your subconscious mind to take over. It's a meditative state for you. So it's exactly the same thing. Now, granted, the fact that you just explained that uh, Thursday afternoons you take off, the weekends you take off. Maybe you do a couple hours here and there within the day to, to work. You're doing it right, bro. That's exactly it. But it, don't expect that same approach of livestock of like, hey, I have to do it every single day. You need to get the work done because if not, animals are going to die towards the business in itself. Well, let me push it a little bit further then. Please. It takes a ridiculous amount of work to build a successful business. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, there's no way around it, right? It's hard work building a business. It is a mental upgrade. There's no better tool on the planet to meet the dude in the mirror than to build a business, Mm -hmm. right? I think the people that will sacrifice early so that they can get to a better place win faster than anybody else. I agree. So here's the thing, though. Business, just like in life, let me give the analogy of the marathon, is a marathon. Within your marathon, you're going to be running some points a lot faster than others, but you cannot be sprinting the whole 42.2 kilometers throughout your marathon. So if you're in the beginning of the business, I don't care where you are. You're absolutely right. You're going to have to put your head down and put in the work. At a certain point, we're like, oh, wait a minute. I have a certain amount of clientele. Money's coming in. I have a certain amount of employees. I could delegate a bit more. Then you have to go in a bit more like, okay, what can I do to take a little step back to give that cognitive uh, uh, pressure to somebody else and relax and therefore giving me opportunities to innovate and create more within the business. Because if you are 
the practitioner within your business, all you did is you own a job. You're not an entrepreneur. Yes, yeah. Entrepreneurs are ahead of the, uh, the, the business and all they do is they create, they think about the future and all that stuff. Right. If you're the practitioner- And I will tell them that I'm not an, an entrepreneur, I'm a business owner, which I think there's a massive difference there as well. So that's exactly it. But what I'm saying is, I think you're doing the steps right, but understanding the whole entrepreneurial journey and life as a marathon. But within that marathon, there's peaks and there's lows as long as you're always moving forward. So if you know, hey, I just started a business and the first couple of years, you have to put your head down. Man, I understand that. I started two businesses back to back from my uh, early to mid 20s. I was a real estate broker. The first year and a half, I literally paid to be a broker. Then I started succeeding quite well. So much as I got invited to go uh, give a speech on stage of how I'm succeeding as a dyslexic entrepreneur. And from that moment on, I'm like, yo, this is what I need to do for the rest of my life because God, the universe, call it whatever you want, had prepared me for that moment. And I realized this is what I have to do. I quit my brokerage career. Everybody thought I was crazy around me. I was in my mid-20s succeeding in what success or society tells you success is, the car, the money, this, that, and the other. I left that behind and started the speaking coaching industry, which I had no idea about the industry. The first two years and a half, I literally put my head down. All my friends that were calling me, hey, Chris, let's do this, let's do that. I'm like, no, I can't. I'm working, this, that, and the other. Now I'm in a position that I... God bless with amazing colleagues around me. I could delegate it a bit more and now look at other parts of my life that need to be cultivated, such as I'm a single dude. I have ambitions to have a family. Cool, let's go out there. Let's meet a great Armenian uh, girl. Let's get married and beyond. To do that, I can't keep the same lifestyle that I kept for the period of building this business. And then once that's done, all right, cool. Let's go back to the other parts. It's all about looking at it on a long term. Everybody, unfortunately, looks at business especially in the ideology of, let's say, companies that are publicly traded in quarterly basis. You don't look at businesses quarterly basis. It's not a three-month thing. You have to look at it in decades. Dare I even say, pending what you're building, centuries. If you look at any huge brand that is just in society such well-structured, they don't look at it in quarterly basis. They look at centuries. Look at Rolex, look at uh, uh, Louis Vuitton, all these solid brands. They look at it in a hundred-year time point. If you're looking at your business only quarterly, you're only going to succeed quarterly and you're just patching it, patching it, patching it, but you're not going to have that long-term growth. So that's the way you kind of look at it and be strategic on the energy that you're putting in for that little moment of where you are within development of your business and personal life. Which leads to when do you switch? When, when, when do, do you switch? go from the hustle? Yeah, yeah. When yeah. do you go from the hustle of building a business to like... Um, I just put a post out on LinkedIn today and it's the first time I've publicly said, I'm going to go find a 5k because now I'm to a place where, all right, I built the business to a level of sustainability, right? My wife was able to quit her job, you know, and those type of things. Now it's okay. Let's start focusing on me. So, so, and get my health right and, and get dialed in on, on, on me. So, but. For most people, what's the catalyst? What's the switch? What's the moment they go from head down on building the freaking company to, all right, now it's time to put it all together? Okay. Great question. Now, there's kind of a couple of ways to answer this. First and foremost, one thing, I'm a peak performance coach. I'm not a business coach. I'm not a life coach. I'm a peak performance coach, which in my ideology is a mix of both. What do I mean by that? If we're just working on the business, but not caring, taking care of the person. Donnie, I don't care who you are. You're leaving opportunities and money on the table within the business. If we're just looking at Donnie, 
but we're not developing the business, you're going to have a hard time to pay the bills at the end of the month. And that's not a joyful life as well. It's that equilibrium that we want. So anybody that's starting any type of business has to be able to look at both fronts, the personal person and then the business. Because if we're getting Donnie to wake up at the proper time, to eat the proper food, to be energized, to be happy, he's going to succeed so much more in business. So we have oh, to look at it. I, I challenge that. I challenge that. Challenge the only it. reason I challenge that is it's so much work to get a business off the ground. It is. We're saying the same thing, Donald. Let me rephrase it. Now, once you're running your business in the beginning, and it's going to take a lot of time, you have to understand that that's a framework of time. Let's say three years, four years, five years. You cannot hold that for the rest of your life of that intense startup business. That's one thing we Agreed. have to understand. Now, Agreed. if you're understanding like, hey, you sit down with your wife, your husband, you're like, hey, babe, for the next three years, I have to do this, 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 this. Now to do so, I have to take out somewhere else because we have only so much pressure we could take on our lives. There's a, a quantity. So if I'm adding so much more pressure in my business, I've diminished the pressure in my personal life, in my workouts and beyond. Now, you have to be very logical to see where is the most important place to diminish the energy level on the other side that's not going to impact the business badly. So a lot of people, the first thing they do is they diminish the workout, the health and all that stuff because they don't see the cognitive uh, uh, value towards it, which is actually the biggest mistake. I'm not saying workout like you're going to the Olympics, but you have to keep a certain amount of it because as you're doing that, it's actually going to help you have more energy. You're going to be more focused. You're going to have better sleeping patterns, which is going to succeed for the business. I'm actually co-authoring a book about this, which is going to be out next year about this exact topic. It's going to be called Play for Profit, the correlation between sports and business. As you're looking at it, you have this time frame and actively talking about it with your significant other, then you have that plan. I'm not saying don't lean into it, but if you're just leaning into the business and just looking at that, not looking at any, anything else, you're going to get surpassed by everybody else that is developing their soft skills of communication, of leadership, of understanding the biochemistry of the brain, of working on and beyond. One great example, look at any top CEO, really the top CEOs, they're usually people that are extremely fit. Look at Jeff Bezos, man. The guy takes out a shirt. He looks like a, like a freaking yoked. Yeah, but let's look be fair on Bezos. That's only happened in like the last five years, right? So, he wasn't ripped before that. <laughs> he wasn't ripped. But why do you think he got more ripped? First of all, he had a system and processes in place and he was able to, to, to do that, but he saw the value within it. If you look at once again, Zuckerberg, the same thing. But there's a lot of fit entrepreneurs. Once again, the goal is not to have the abs, not that. I'm just saying there's a correlating factor that's really involved. And there's a correlating factor to have great relationships that's going to give you great business life and beyond. That's what yeah, I'm saying. I, 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 I hear you. And that's for, for me, I think that's the evolution of my business. I mean, I think I was three, four years in when I started doing the morning walks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I started doing them, you know, putting podcasts in play cause it was a good distraction to learn things. Um, and then I was advised to turn off the podcast, see what happens. And that was the smartest thing I could have done on those morning walks because it gave me a form of meditation. And that's okay. now why I'm looking at a 5k because it forces me to aim at something that allows me to get focused on the, the physical health, um, you know. I'm a firm believer that if you have something you're aiming at, I'm not a really big goal setter, right? But I, but I like having something to aim at. So, yes. you know, if you want to lose a few pounds, plan a beach vacation. You know, if yes. uh, uh, you want to get a little bit more fit, go plan a 5K, those type of things. 
will get you the result you're looking for type of ordeal. So, so, um, I had a crazy cool conversation with a guy you'd love named Tony Watley. I mean, I've watched his four year journey of his going from a guy who did a major exit from a business to try and figure out how to be this big coach. And now he's got thousands upon thousands of people following him and his whole demeanor is changed. And when I met him, he wasn't the workout guy. He wasn't anything. Now I'm half his pictures of him in the gym. Yeah. And he's absolutely crushing it. And I keep watching all these guys. I'm like, all right, cool. This is the next play for me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, how do I add this all into the mix? And so we're just now heading down that path. I can hear all the health coaches have been talking to me for the last six years going about freaking time. Right. Yeah. Um, but we're getting there. We're getting there. But you're doing it right too, Donnie. Like, I mean, like you said, you just decided your structure. What I'm saying is you can, it's not a question of this or that. I truly believe in that. A lot of people cut that, oh, it's this or that. No, it's a question of this and that. You could start a business, be healthy, have a great relationship, but it's all a question of percentages. Balance is not 50-50. Balance is what you make it for the time frame that you're at. Let me explain that a bit more cognitively here. Right now in my business, um, I'm single, I'm working on my business. I would say 90% of my time, let's say 85 to 90% is in my business. I would say 10% is my family, and I would say 5% is my me time. Tomorrow morning, I meet a great girl. We start developing a family and beyond. That structure has to change. Where am I going to take out? I'm going to take out a bit in the business time. I'm going to spend a bit more here. We get kids. That structure needs to change again, and that's a framework of time. All of these things are balanced out with what you decide. All I'm saying is as you're starting your business, you have to be very much cognitively aware of that and not put 100% of your time in one thing. And if you decide to do that, fine, but it's only a short amount of time. You cannot sprint a full marathon. That's all I'm trying to say here. Yeah, Once you're yeah. cognitively aware of it, then you're able to adjust it because then there's ways to, that your body talks to as well. When I'm tired, my body talks to me. My eye starts twitching. I realize, oh shit, my eye is twitching. That means I'm not taking enough, I'm not sleeping enough. I have too much stress and beyond. If I start doing like small mistakes, I realize these are mistakes that I shouldn't be doing. I'm not, like spelling my name wrong. It's the stupidest thing. Really? Oh, wait a minute. Or forgetting to sign a contract when it's things that I never do. I realize, oh, I'm getting tired. So then from that framework, I look at, like you said, I look at my agenda. I'm like, hey, when's my next vacation? Just setting a date of my next vacation diminishes the aspect of like, okay, we're not going in a bun. Like we're not going with no structure. I have a vacation coming up and that diminishes the stresses as well. Taking a little afternoon off. Let me go watch a movie by myself, whatever the case is. We have to be very aware of your body telling you what it's telling you because you do not want to go towards burnout because once you go to burnout, it's a lot harder to come back to it than the other way around. And I got to introduce you to Dan Prado as well because I just had him on the podcast and this was all we taught. It was so, it was, it was that idea. Um, and he's the first time I heard somebody say that, you know, when you're making a decision of any sort, you got to look at how do you feel about the decision? Right. Because, you know, emotion plays such a huge role and your body is freaking talking to you as you're going through the, the decision and you're putting your, what do you say? You're putting yourself in a place of pressure. Mm -hmm. If you're making a decision and your body is screaming, no, don't go that direction. You feel a go, no, it was a, it was a good switch for me, uh, in the head. Um, so dude, we could do this all day long. Um, uh, you're, you've been a fascinating guy since I met you down in Atlanta. Um, I've been following a lot of your journey on social media and the likes, um, more people need to lean into your world and just the way you think through things, because, uh, I'm a pretty hard headed dude. You continue to say things to me 
Um, like the coolest thing you said to be in Atlanta, we were standing there, we were standing side by side. You said, look at this room. You go, I bet you could teach everybody in this room, Donnie. And I said, yeah, probably so. You go, then you looked at me and you said, I could learn from everybody in this room. And it was a moment for me because I'm like, my ego immediately popped up. I'm like, there are people here I don't want to learn from. And then you immensely said, you know, sometimes learning what not to do is the lesson. I was like, <laughs> right. It blew my freaking head off when you did. And so, so you're a fascinating guy, man. And I've really enjoyed hanging out with you. So. Donnie, uh, I appreciate that. How do people that. find you? How do they get in, get in touch with you? you know, how do they follow you? All that stuff. Yeah. First of all, Donnie, I truly appreciate that as well. And I mentioned it several times. I feel like you're a brother from another mother. Uh, you're a little bit of country. I'm a little bit of a city with the suit <laughs> and you have your cowboy Bhutan, but we're, we're speaking the same thing in different vernaculars. Uh, so yeah, the people could reach out to me in all social media at Christopher Dedan. Uh, if you're interested to communicate with me to go to that next level with my team, we have Dedan Academy, which is an online course on eight modules that we support you with a great community. Uh, so you could reach out to see, uh, when our next cohort is, if you want to jump into that. If you want to book me as a speaker well, on my website, Dedan Enterprises with an S.com and my team could connect and see how I could come speak to your company, uh, to help them go to that next level. Dude, that's awesome. And, and listeners, if you guys, if you've made it this far with us, do us a favor, take a screenshot wherever you're listening or watching this. When you put that on social media, tag me and Chris in it. We will come find it. We will comment. We will engage. Um, and it lets us know that you want more of this type of content. So just take a screenshot wherever you listen to it. Uh, it'll mean the world to us both. Post us out there. And as always, guys, love you, mean it. See you, bye. When I created Success Champions, it was on the idea that most people make themselves an island as they're growing their business. Yet they just don't want people to know how bad things are because if anybody knew how bad things are, nobody would do business with you. So like me, they don't often reach out for advice. They don't get support. They just try and put their head down and grind through it. And let's be honest, man, that, that lifestyle sucks. And when you're constantly trying to find yourself to push through it and figure it out on your own, it often leads to misery. We created Success Champions so you don't make yourself an island, so you don't build your business alone. There are a ton of people that are going through it on the same journey that are looking for the same advice you are. Maybe they've been through it and are looking to help. So come hang out with Success Champions. Go to successchampionnetworking.com, go visit one of our peer groups, and let's help you actually get to business freedom. Don't build your business alone. Come hang with us as Success Champions.